Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. The Gilgo Beach investigation is perhaps the most well-known and complex that this department has ever undertaken. It is important that the families of these murder victims know that we remain steadfast in our commitment to deliver justice, and in doing so, give a sense of closure. When four bodies were found last December scattered along a remote New York beach, police figured they were dealing with a serial killer. Serial killers evolve. They change their MOs. They don't necessarily do the same thing all the time. We are hopeful that this photograph will bring somebody forward with information about the origin of that article. We're looking at that, that we could have a serial killer. She went into that uh, area that night, hysterical, upset, overcome by the elements, and she expired. Some of the remains date back to 1996. What's common here is the dumping ground. A police officer and a cadaver dog were searching for a missing New Jersey prostitute who was last seen in the beach community in May of last year. We have this day at approximately 9.14 a.m. located a set of skeletal remains. We'll wait till an autopsy is performed to um, know for sure what happened to her. The search, again, was a targeted search. It was not a wide area search. It was related to GPS coordinates, uh, points of interest that were given to us from the FBI from the high-resolution photography. The search for that woman has led to the discovery of 10 other bodies. We have 10 bodies now and no Shannon Gilbert, and it's a mystery. Our theory is that this is a coincidence, that she went missing in Oak Beach and has nothing to do with the, uh, the serial killer. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of My Passion Case, a Slow Burn Media production. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into the Gilgo Beach Murders, a.k.a. the Long Island Serial Killer. And just this past Thursday, authorities held a press conference to show off new evidence in relation to the investigation. The Suffolk County Police on Long Island released photos of what it said could be a significant piece of evidence, a black leather belt with the letters WH or HM that had been found at the scene a decade ago. Now, authorities said they are confident the belt was handled by the killer because it did not belong to any of the victims. They released a photograph of the belt, and I will put the picture of the belt on the website. This is very interesting news since the case has kind of been cold for the past few years. Now, police must think there is a new opportunity to catch the killer because they also launched a new website, gilgonews.com, to collect new tips and information about the case. Now, the first set of remains were discovered in 2010 when police were searching for another woman, 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert. Now, it wouldn't be for another year when Gilbert's body would be found across the way on neighboring Oak Beach. But once Gilbert's body was recovered, the total number of bodies that had been found was 11. Police said most of the women found worked in prostitution and had advertised such services on websites such as Craigslist. Now, when an independent autopsy was performed on Gilbert's body... They were able to determine that she was killed due to homicidal strangulation. 
Now, you wonder why there was a second autopsy? Well, the first one concluded Gilbert had died from drowning and drug overdose. The autopsy was able to conclude she did not die from a natural disease, drug overdose, or drowning. Gilbert had vanished after visiting a customer and was told to have freaked out and started banging on neighbors' doors asking for help. While they searched for Gilbert, four bodies were found in various stages of decomposition. More remains were uncovered on Gilgo Beach, which is about 40 miles from New York City. The FBI didn't join the task force until 2015, so this new evidence may actually be a result of their participation. Now that I've run you through the basics of the case, let's jump into my conversation with producer, reporter, and true crime star Maggie Freeling to take a deeper dive into the case of the Long Island serial killer. Uh, Maggie, thank you for joining me tonight on my passion case. I know that we have talked off the record on what you're going to talk about tonight, but I think there are a lot of people out there that may be familiar with this case, especially if they're true crime aficionados. But if you're just kind of stumbling across this case, what is it that you wanted to talk about tonight? So... I would like to talk about the Long Island serial killer. I'm really excited to talk about this because I am usually that person, you know, at the bar, people are talking about something and I'm like, oh, did you guys know that there's a serial killer at large, like down the street from us? And people usually have no idea. And I'm actually surprised at how little attention this case actually does get. There was a few documentaries about it a couple years ago, maybe 2015 or 16, but that's really been it so far. And so, you know, there was a book about it in 2013, which I think you had said you also read. But for me, anything that's out there about it, I listen to, I read, I just cannot get enough about it. I did read the book. I believe it was The the Lost Girls. You're right. And in regards to this case, not getting the attention that it obviously deserves, because this case is absolutely fascinating. I mean, this is one of the most fascinating cases, and especially if you dig even deeper into the case, there are so many different rabbit holes you could go down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have, you know, once we get to it, you know, I have all of, like, the top suspects, and each one is, like, better than the next. And it's, like, it's just, first of all, it's crazy to me that there is a current serial killer at large that we have not caught. It's just crazy to me who has possibly been killing since the early 90s, and most recently as of 2010. And they're still out there. So so I grew up on Long Island. So this is like, you know, my hometown murder, basically. Um, You know, when the bodies were found, I was, I think I was in college, maybe. So I was like an adult. So it really stuck with me. And I grew up pretty close to Gilgo Beach, Jones Beach area where um, Ocean Parkway, where all of the bodies were found. Close enough that I had gone to all those beaches. I grew up surfing. Gilgo Beach was like a hot spot. So like I knew this area. And even (laughs) I remember, you know, we'll get into it too. One of the houses over there where one of the girls was last seen before her body was found. The folks moved out of that home and the house went on the market. And my parents, I remember them talking about like, 
oh my gosh, this, you know, gated community oceanfront home is selling for thousands of dollars cheaper than normal because it's, you know, like a murder house. So that, and, and one of the suspects, uh, I went to school with his son. So like, I've been very obsessed with this case since the bodies were first found. I mean, Long Island's a small place, small, you know, I was going to Gogo Beach. I went to high school, been to the house of one of the suspects. I lived close to the Pine Barrens where two torsos were found. Like this was like, you know, everyone was talking like, could it be someone we know? Even at one point I was like, could this be my dad? Where was my dad on these dates? You know, like it's like one of those things where everyone was kind of like that. So So what, like, what are the demographics in, in Long Island? Long Island is a really interesting place um the demographics range wildly i have always found it to be a pretty segregated place but in terms of wealth and race but you know there 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 are places like oak beach where these bodies were found you know gated communities oceanfront homes there's the hamptons and then at the same time you have places in the Pine Barrens that are, you know, tiny little trailer parks and, you know, Middle Islands, places like that, that are pretty impoverished. It's pretty conservative on Long Island. It's a satellite in New York City, but I'd say a lot of people are pretty conservative. You know, maybe that has to do with the wealth that is also there. But growing up, I didn't see so much of that. But today, it's like one of Trump's like top places. So it's definitely interesting. Yeah, because from where I grew up, the city, I mean, I hung, I spent time hanging out in Queens when I was a kid, you know, it's right, it's right there. But then you go out there and it feels quite different. As far as like what the environment's like in uh, Gogo Beach, I mean, are we talking like, are we talking about like a wide open beach area, you know, a, a destination spot, or are we talking about something that maybe not everybody needs to be going to? So I would say both. I mean, Jones Beach, there is the Jones Beach Theater there. There's a stadium uh, for concerts. Like Jones Beach is a very busy place. The beach in the summer is packed all the time. It's definitely a tourist destination for people, you know, who are visiting the city and also want to go to the beach. You'll go as well. And so the strip where the bodies were found is actually very remote. It's a long, like very flat, marshy area where Ocean Parkway runs along the beach. But the two like main points of interest, Jones Beach and Gilgo Beach are on the opposite ends. So you have this giant strip of road just through marsh. And in that marsh is where a lot of the bodies were found. So it's actually, and we'll get into it, a pretty ideal dumping ground for a serial killer. As far as the interest in the case and, you know, obviously your family being interested in purchasing one of the houses for, you know, a nice little discount uh, for being a murder house, you know, that's always comforting to hear. And, uh, you know, it's definitely what you want as a child. Um, You know, that's, you know, hey. Well, you know, I'm I'm here... (laughs) Working in true crime field because I'm sure as a child I had a morbid fascination with <laughs> things like that. So I think I was actually really excited about it at the time. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, but, I think we all kind of had a morbid yeah uh, fascination in ending up in this sort of uh, genre. I think yeah. it just kind of comes with the territory. I would say so for sure. You know, so this whole time we were talking about the Long Island serial killer and uh, just to jump into it that the Long Island serial killer acronym list is an unidentified killer who uh, predominantly, and I would say actually a hundred percent. And we, I guess we don't know a hundred percent because there are some unidentified bodies, 
but from what we know, um, preyed on sex workers and left their bodies in the areas of the South Shore, Long Island, as we mentioned, Jones Beach, Oak Beach area along Ocean Parkway. And this whole story, the whole way we find out that there is a serial killer starts with Shannon Gilbert. So she uh, is a young 24-year-old woman from New Jersey who was working as an escort and took a call uh, to go out to Oak Beach. And she was last seen in 2010 running out of a house in Oak Beach. That's the one that my parents were interested in. Um, screaming, they're they're going to kill me. And there was a 911 call of this. She called the police screaming, they're going to kill me. Then she went missing. And so that was in 2010. A few months later, during a search for her, the police in December of 2010, they're searching for Shannon and they actually wind up finding four sets of human remains, uh, women identified as sex workers in burlap sacks. They're known as the Gilgo Beach Four. And they were Amberlyn Costello, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Megan Waterman, and Melissa Bartholomew. And so that kind of started the whole thing when those four bodies were found. And obviously they had to continue searching for Shannon. And while doing that, they came across many bodies and body parts laid across Gilgo Beach. When they were doing the search, you know, when Shannon first went missing, did they did, did they treat it like that? I mean, did they go out and like, oh, hey, we need to get some search parties uh, put together and uh, track this woman down? Did they treat it like that? Or were they a little bit more flippant about uh, her situation since she was, you know, a sex worker and all? I think they were a little flippant about it. I don't know for sure how quickly afterwards the search started, but it was certainly not treated as a homicide or anything like that or a death at the time, you know, because she was just a missing person. So, you know, I think it did take, I think it was one of those instances, I think with all of these young women, when their families realized they were missing, it was probably a few days later. Um, I think with Shannon, actually, it was almost immediate because she had a boyfriend. And I think he tried to file a report and, you know, they kept getting bounced back because she's from New Jersey. So mm -hmm. then her family was going to Jersey police. who was like, no, you have to go to Long Island. And then Long Island was like, no, she's from Jersey. So they kept getting like bounced back and forth. So I think to even get the missing person's report it took a minute. Um, again, she was also 24. She was a sex worker. I think the urgency to it wasn't there, but... Um, you know, this was May, and by December they were actively looking for her. Okay, so when the when the officers are out searching for Shannon, and they come across these other bodies, what happens at that point? That was pretty much when they were like, okay, there's four bodies lined up, almost perfectly separated from each other in burlap sacks. Very clearly, these are homicides. The same person. From there, they they acknowledge that they're looking for a serial killer pretty pretty quickly. So then as they're continuing to search, this was in December 2010. In March, they start finding skulls, hands, forearms, which they link to a torso that was found all the way out in Manorville, Long Island, which is a little bit further out, like towards the Hamptons. They linked these body parts to a torso that was found out there in 2003, so seven years earlier. So now they're realizing, whoa, there are body parts scattered all over Long Island. 
and they're finding some of them now in Ocean Parkway during this search. So they're, they're really searching now. They're like, what is out here? Um, a month later, they find a man who is the only man found. He's actually currently still unidentified. He's known as unidentified Asian male, and he was wearing women's clothing. And then they find mm. more, another skull, hands, and a foot linked to another Jane Doe in Manorville. And they still have not identified her. But again, those were more body parts linked to a torso found out in Manorville. So it, it was pretty, I mean, they were finding bodies and body parts through 2011. And, and I think overall, they found 10 bodies and remains. And they believe the Long Island serial killer has murdered 10 to 16 people over a period of 20 years. So, yeah, because one of these, tor- I think the Jane Doe, I think her body was found very early on in the 90s. So if they're associating that with Lisk, he's been killing for quite a while. My question, I guess, is revolves around the body parts. Are mm-hmm. those, you know... How do I say this without sounding terrible? But would somebody be able to just be driving around, throwing them out the window? I mean, is is there enough distance between the road? I, I don't know. I mean, is that something that, that they... That's a really good question. I I don't know exactly where on off of the road a lot of the parts were found. The Gilgo Beach 4 the women in the burlap were actually found pretty close to the roadway. And so this brings up a very interesting point when talking about the suspect. And this is one of the theories is that you're finding bodies, four bodies in burlap, evenly spaced apart on the road, like very close to the roadway. And then you're finding body parts, dismembered bodies, torsos strewn across Long Island. And so there is a strong theory out there that it, this is actually two killers using the same dumping ground. And one is uh, a trophy killer, the one who has the burlap and lays out these bodies so we can go by and visit and he knows where they are. He kind of has this trophy garden. And the other one is a torso killer who is less organized and kind of like you said, is just really throwing body parts out there and is kind of like, look at me, look at me, you know, here's the torsos I'm putting out for you to find. So that is one theory that's actually out there is that this is two different killers because the MO seems very different. Now, when the bodies are laid out, like the way that you mentioned, does that strike you as something that like a hunter would do? Or does that, is that not something that like, I mean, was it not that meticulous? It, it seemed pretty meticulous. Um, the way, you know, from everything I know of the killer, at least the one who killed the women in the burlap, these were all very cautious women. They had been doing sex work for a minute. And this is something else to note is that they started, these four women specifically, all disappeared doing jobs from Craigslist. This was also around the time that Craigslist was big. So now they were taking their work where usually they would be in Times Square, you know, other, I think generally they all worked out of New York City in Times Square and would pick up Johns in Times Square and meet these men in person, get, Mm -hmm. you know, a sense for, are they sketchy? Are they not sketchy? You know, what does this guy look like? To now they're meeting people on the internet who they have never met before. And so all these women were very smart, uh, street savvy, 
and they all went missing in a very similar time frame and they all seemingly were picked up by the same guy so off of craigslist which was new to them um relatively new yeah they they kind of took away one of their one of their best uh defenses which is their street savviness and the the ability to call a john uh you know whatever you want to call him who's right and so all all their all their families my daughter wouldn't have gotten a car with someone she didn't feel comfortable with one of the women specifically uh went missing from a hotel out on long island and uh her mom said you know she wouldn't she wouldn't have she had to have known this guy or he had to make her feel so comfortable to be doing an out call. Cause usually she did in calls to go there. She's like, I think he had been a, maybe one of her clients before or something like that. So, you know, I do think this person, at least the uh, trophy killer was pretty charming or cunning. You know, the, the, the New York times put out uh, or according to the times, a description of what the um, profile of the killer is. Mm-hmm. And this is what it is. He's most likely a white male in his 20s to mid 40s, so pretty young, uh, who is very familiar with the South Shore of Long Island, has access to burlap sacks, which we'll get to later, and he may have detailed knowledge of law enforcement and is perhaps law enforcement or has ties to law enforcement, which has helped him avoid detection. 3 a.m. the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. We'll also get to that. So that's a pretty meticulous person. You know, someone who may be law enforcement, has law enforcement background. You know, he's pretty young probably cunning, charming. It's definitely an interesting profile. You definitely think of, you know, the Bundys of the world and the, uh, just the char- the charisma of, mm-hmm. you know, any type of uh, serial killer. I think that, I think that kind of comes with the, the mm-hmm. ability to be a serial killer is as, mm-hmm. as backwards, ass backwards as that may sound. I do think that that is a skill that is sort of a necessity if you're going to really especially to you know i know a lot of people who you know have the impression that sex workers are you know out of it and you know they're druggies and blah 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 but like these these women were very intuitive and very smart and very you know street savvy and so to be able to make them feel comfortable when their job is to know in an instant who who should I get in this car with or not and every day know that their lives are at risk. That, I think this person was certainly charming or at least, you know, had a pretty good offer for them, probably offering a lot of money. You definitely come across, it was in the Lost Girls book that I was listening to uh, about how they would judge, is that guy going to be able to actually afford to take me home or mm-hmm. afford to take me to where he's going to say he's going to take me? Or is this is just some ruse to get me in this car and he's going to 
just straight up murder me. That's food for thought. Absolutely. It definitely is. So so some of the victims, because this also goes to profiling. So as I mentioned, one of them is Asian male John Doe. He was wearing women's clothing. And, you know, that's, that is, uh, doesn't really fit the the profile so much. Um, there's theories that, you know, maybe he was cross-dressing or was trans and, and fooled, quote, fooled the John and mm-hmm. who just killed him out of anger. It wasn't like, a, you know, one of his trophy killings. It was more of like a, oh my gosh, I have to just get rid of you kind of killing. Uh, you pissed me off. Because similarly, there was um, a really young girl, a baby, I think. Yeah, she was like a baby, a mm-hmm. couple of years old um, that was found. So that's also pretty unusual um, for this killer, it seems, who's going for sex workers. So there's a, a Asian male in women's clothing, a baby, and then again, the, the you know, trophy garden versus the dismemberment. And so during all of this, all of this is being found over about a year span, and Shannon Gilbert is still missing. She's still missing during all of this. They're looking for her, and they're coming across a killing fields, literally, on Long Island, and have yet to find her. How many bodies have they found at that point? I think they had, I think before they found her, I think that was everyone, because I do think she was the last one found. So they find her. But it was a while, though, wasn't it? It was, it was almost, they were doing a year vigil for her and they found her. So it was ex- almost exactly a year later that they found her. And she was pretty much right where she went missing. She was in the marsh behind the house of the John she had gone to and was last seen uh, screaming and running from the house that they're going to kill me. Mm-hmm. She was a couple hundred yards, maybe only like 200 yards behind the house in the marsh. They found her clothing pretty much, you know, it seems like she was stripping off clothing as she was running and they found her body. And she's actually the only one that they haven't determined if the cause of death. So there's a lot of questions. Was she a victim of list? Did she you know, was she on drugs and ran from the house and it had nothing to do with that. But coincidentally, because of her, we found all these other bodies. Um, the family strongly believes it was a homicide. Um, unfortunately, the medical examiner cannot rule the cause of death for Shannon. So that's kind of, that's how it all started. Yeah. And I mean, when you're having like a, a bad trip, I, I can understand like, okay, like, let's say you took a bunch of acid or you took a bunch of whatever before you went to this guy's house and then you get to the guy's house and then you freak the fuck out and uh you end up running through the fields uh, or through the it's not they're not fields it's you're literally running through shrubbery not- yeah it was a, it was a marsh it was a marsh and so they had said she drowned drowned you know, it wasn't, i mean it wasn't that deep but then the argument is, you know, well, she was on drugs and disoriented. But I think I think family members and people like that don't seem to think she was on anything. So, so the man whose house she was at is Joseph Brewer. Mm-hmm. He was the one who called her. He's the John. This is his house. I think he even said that they, they hadn't taken anything or it's unclear. Maybe they just did cocaine, which would not put you in that kind of state. So... He was cleared as a suspect. I think he cooperated. And the other thing is she has, she had a driver who drove her out there. And drivers are 
almost kind of like security. You know, they're there if you don't call after an hour, if you're taking longer, you're supposed to let your driver know. Otherwise, you know, they're going to come in. So her driver, uh, Michael Pack, was also there and, you know, kind of witnessed all of this. Who He was a suspect at first. I believe he was cleared as well. Didn't, I think he also didn't think she was really on anything or couldn't really tell what was going on. And he interacted with Brewer and saw her kind of freaking out like hiding behind that couch and he asked Brewer like what's going on he's like I have no idea she's freaking out I mean her situation is really bizarre maybe she was having like some sort of you know psychotic episode like her her situation seems very bizarre and that's where you start getting into conspiracy theories about well maybe he was involved because he was part of the um what's it called the like the it's a little community. So he was on like the community board in this little, the you know, and he's friends. Club or the... Yeah. Like whatever that is. So he was like the big shot and he's got all the ins and then it's like, everyone's covering up for him around there. And maybe he didn't kill her, but one of his buddies like grabbed her when she ran away. And right. so, you know, you start getting into the conspiracy theories down there, but um, yeah. So, so he was a suspect who has mostly been cleared and alongside him, Hmm. There is Peter Hackett, who is another resident. And this is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> the one and only Dr. Hackett. Yeah, Dr. Hackett. Really weird guy who's really good friends with Brewer. Again, they were on this, you know, whatever community board, hot shots in the neighborhood. He's like the neighborhood doctor. And so I think people need to understand we're talking about like this community. Like, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, Bushwick in New York City. I'm talking about like a very remote, gated off community. There was, you know, maybe a hundred people living in this community out on a beach. So they're, they're very, they're pretty insular among each other. So they were friends. They hung out. He's the doctor, you know, if someone's having an issue, of course, there's a hospital. It's not, you know, we're not in the desert, but, you know, you got a stomach ache, you're going to go to him and get whatever. You know, he was like that guy or proclaims to be that guy. And I think he even said, like, he didn't know why he wasn't called that night because he would have helped Shannon. I do Um, remember that. I do remember that line. Like, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he comes into play because he calls Shannon Gilbert's mom allegedly he allegedly calls Shannon Gilbert's mom and says that he took care of her that night and that he ran a home for wayward girls and then he calls her again saying that he didn't have any contact with Shannon and so he virtually inserts himself into this case no one ever would have talked to him acknowledged him you know, at all, except for the fact that he now suddenly inserts himself in this case. So does he run a a, a home for wayward girls? I think that was made up. Also very (laughs) creepy. He had a wife, has a wife. Uh, Their house was pretty small from what I know. You know, like, I don't think the wife knew about this home for wayward girls at all, if it was a thing. Um, So, yeah, he, he, you know. He walks like a duck. It, it, He's a very weird guy. Let's just be honest. There was no. There was, yeah. There no. 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 And so it's this. And so now it's this weird thing where you know Shannon's mom is like this freaking maniac guy calls me and says all these things and then he's like I never said these things so the police obviously look at him 
as a suspect, but he was he was cleared. Uh, I'm not sure why, but you know. He just seems to me kind of like a cuckoo bird who wants to be important. You know, someone who's like, yes, I take care of the community. And yes, I took care of Shannon. Oh, shit. Wait, this is a maybe a homicide investigation? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think he's a legitimate suspect, but he is certainly a weird guy. He's certainly friends with Joseph Brewer. There were definitely people in the community who thought they were in on something together. Am I um, wrong to picture him with, like, the classic doctor leather carrying case with his little uh, stethoscope and you know, he's going to come by and do a house call and <laughs> this guy sounds... I mean, have you seen him? Have you seen what he looks like? I, I'm going to look him up. I'm going to look him up, literally, just so I can give you a... First of all, he's very large and goofy. Really? And there is this, there's not, this that's moment... That's not what I would have thought, Ed off the hand off. there is this moment where he's being interviewed by um so, you know some local news because news was out there all the time and they're asking him like did you see her did you see her did you make that phone call and he suddenly fakes or, or looks like he's having some sort of like heart attack or panic attack which yeah, he pretty he clearly weird. faked just to like get out of answering the question like he's a very bizarre dude yeah that's a weird looking cat so i think he's just weird and has like a very i need to be important kind of situation going on and so that also leads us to um the phone call that melissa bartholomew's sister got she's one of the gilgo beach four okay um her sister got a phone call from melissa's phone you know, I they did get a phone call from her phone, but I don't know if this was the call or not. They, they were the family was harassed a few times, but the killer did have Melissa's phone at one point and called from it. And one of the times he called the sister, the younger sister Amanda, he called and said, "Are you a whore like your sister?" And so the, that family actually had contact with the killer, which is really bizarre. And. I don't think anyone else had received taunting phone calls, but they did. And one was from her number. And that's also fascinating. And I think the call was traced. One of them was traced to Times Square, which leads a lot of people to believe he's a commuter. He works in the city, maybe picks up escorts in the city, comes back to Long Island. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a new thing if that's the case i mean there's the guy in alaska that would meet the people and fly them back to his cottage and murder them there i mean yeah people will do all sorts of different things if they've got murder on their mind i guess yeah and, and i think this is what led families to think you know maybe they had met him before in the city he's a commuter like you know maybe they knew him and now he's like oh actually come let's do a call out on my at my place on long island or you know whatever it made them feel comfortable it's uh yeah it's interesting it's really interesting and that that also kind of fits with this profile of like a younger white guy you know maybe he's a wall street works on wall street something like that like this mm -hmm. you know mr Moneybags wall street guy um so so another suspect these are two uh so this is an interesting one this one has to do with the burlap sacks and this is the man that i knew so james bissett was a guy 
I grew up with his son. We went to school together. I had like partied on their houseboat, you know, super, super rich Long Island people. Mm-hmm. He owned an aquarium. He owned a bunch of Hyatt, Hyatt hotels. And he owned um, a nursery. And he was, you know, his, the burlap sacks were linked mm-hmm. to his nursery. And uh, he was, I think, cleared, or this is also what happened, the day after Shannon's body is found, the last body in December, the day after he commits suicide. So a lot of people thought that was suspicious. And it's unclear to me if he was cleared or he has, is just dead now. But he came up because of the four burlap sacks for the Go-Go Beach Four. Well, my first job was working at a greenhouse and yeah, those burlap sacks, I mean, they're pretty much used for everything and anything. Yeah, as far as- and that's why it's kind of unclear to me. Like the suspect profile says has access to burlap sacks. I mean, kids use burlap sacks for potato sack races. Like, I guess I don't know the exact kind of burlap it was. Maybe it was different, but I feel like you could go to any nursery and buy burlap sacks. But that's why it's it's unclear to me why it was specifically him that was linked because this is in Port Jefferson. This is where I grew up. I had gone to this nursery a million times. Like this is where everyone in my town got flowers. It's not that close to Gilgo Beach. So again, either this person is Jim James Bizet or is out in Port Jeff, you know, probably about an hour from where the bodies were found, get buying burlap sacks. You, you know, it's unclear to me why it was specifically this nursery and James Bissett that was linked to the sacks, but they I think it was a, a direct link. I think that there's definitely a, you know, a connection there, but it is definitely one that the authorities would have explored, you would hope, to the nth degree as far as knocking that guy off the list right and so you know that actually brings us to one of the suspects um the former suffolk county police chief james burke who is reported to have blocked an fbi probe into the long island serial killings during his time as police chief so you know i think this is one of the strongest to me One of the strongest suspects actually is James Burke because of that profile that says possibly law enforcement, you know, if he has access to all of the information, you know, he's getting some rare burlap that can be linked to somebody else, you know, blocking probes, allegedly. Um, So the case against him would be that in 2016, one of the Gilbert, Shannon Gilbert's uh, attorneys had said that an escort who had been with James Burke um, said that he said he was connected to the Long Island serial killer murders. And I know that sounds a little bit out there. However, he's also known to be with sex workers. And the attorney also said that they spoke with another woman who had rough sex with him during a house party. He also did time in federal prison for beating a man who stole a duffel bag of his filled with sex toys and pornography. So, you know, he's the police chief hooking up with sex workers, you know, teach his own. Nothing wrong with that. It is technically illegal. Some of them are claiming to have 
had not great encounters with him, rough encounters. You know, he could be violent. Actually, he is violent because he beat a man for stealing his pornography and sex toys. You know, so this is me personally. I have always felt the strongest cases against James Burke. And, you know, that would that would be really hard to deal with, especially, you know, if he was blocking FBI probes and we all know how law enforcement's treated you know the code mm-hmm. of the code of blue or what it, what is it the mm, the uh yeah uh, uh blue brotherhood whatever it is blue yeah bloods yes i'm selling hosts yeah. the show or hosts show. yeah whatever Stars the, the blue brotherhood you know so i think if if it is him i think i don't think we will uh know that yeah i could definitely see that being uh a sticky situation for uh anybody that's uh below the chain of command of uh of the chief of police but uh but yeah i mean so i think he I, for me i think he is there's one more person who is also possible uh, i think another really good person of interest and before we just, jump in there like yeah how far like okay so some of these bodies were found in one area and then some other bodies were found in another area. Mm-hmm. What was the distance between the bodies, you know, the one site and the other site? So the distance, let's see, I can do a quick Google search for that. So when we're talking bodies, you know, cause there was the two torsos found out in Manorville, which I probably over an hour away. So let me look, I'm going to do Manorville. And the directions to yeah, because I I, mean, I just know that the so that's about an hour. Um, and then Oak Beach to Jones Beach is pretty close. It's not. It's like we're talking like a couple miles. I don't know. I mean, it does make you wonder, like how many different serial killers you have going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so yeah, it's twelve miles between Oak Beach and Jones Beach on Ocean Parkway, where um the most of the bodies and body parts were found. So there, so the the Suffolk police officially, they changed at it, you know, it changed based on the DA and the chief of police. I think the official statement from them now is that they're looking for one serial killer because they initially, I think at one time the DA said they were looking for two killers. And I think it was a back and forth for a bit over how many killers they were looking for. I think currently they're looking for one killer. But I mean, you know, as someone like you who, you know, you're into this stuff and I'm into this stuff. I mean, it is kind of strange to have two completely different MOs. Yeah. I mean, definitely seems like, okay, let's say it's the same person, uh, played devil's advocate and just say it's the same person. um, And he changed his MO. I mean, is it possible? Yeah. But is it more likely that somebody else is also just you know committing crimes in the same area i mean it's not like we're dumping bodies in downtown manhattan you know like these are this is still this is a technically and you can back me up on this i guess i mean you would consider this a rural area for the yeah totally for the state oh, it's definitely it's definitely rural yeah so it's not like i mean we're talking a beat we're talking so this is a this is a barrier island mm-hmm. for anyone who's heard of you know fire island the, the, we're talking about an island like the beach isn't even connected to long island these are very thin 
barrier islands. So even to get to some of these places, Oak Beach and Jones Beach, you could go over a bridge, but the other parts of the island, you need to take a ferry. Like we're talking like an island. So it is very, it's remote. It's a, it's literally the perfect dumping ground. And it makes me wonder like how much of it was missed. I mean, Shannon's body, that area had been searched before. Um, and they, they, they missed her. So how many other bodies are out there? Yeah. So like, is it like thicket or like, uh, I guess that's not even necessarily the word, but like, um, it's marsh. It's marshland. It's marshland. So, I mean, like, I think of marshland, I think of, like, Key West. And so I think of, like, mangroves and, like, that kind of shit. Like, um, but that's obviously the South. So I guess in as far as, like, New York and Long Island, marshy areas, I mean, we're talking, like, pretty heavy-duty pricker bushes and wild tree. I mean... Isn't that the type of atmosphere we're talking about or environment we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not like it's an open field or an open like it kind of, it kind of is though. There's no there's no trees. Okay. Uh, there really aren't any dunes because it's it's pretty flat. But okay, so if you could put if you search Oak Beach mm-hmm. in your map and you can put your little your little Google guy down. And you can literally see the spots where the bodies were found. There's nothing there. So, I mean, like, put it if you search Oak Beach and then Jones Beach, put your little guy like right in the middle on that strip of road, and that's like where where most of the bodies were found along Ocean Parkway. And so, in one of the documentaries, it was an A and E documentary that came out. The reporters um, actually went out there at nighttime. And like, you know, pretended to dump a body, but what they, they were seeing, how many cars passed, very similar to what I did in the Mora documentary, but seeing from the time they could see the headlights, because you could see for miles, it's, it's flat, it's a straight strip, how long it took from when they saw the headlights to when the car was close enough that they figured, you know, someone would see what they were doing. Yeah, I, I don't think most, time. I don't think most people realize the environment that this actually is because you're right i mean this is like straight up barrier islands yeah i mean you're better off going to oak island (laughs) like (laughs) yeah no it's they're barrier islands it's you know so it was a pretty decent amount of time that they found that it took until the car was close enough they were like oh yeah you could you could dump a body easily i mean you're not driving down there at night there's nothing there there's beaches you know the only people driving down there at night are Probably if you're dumping a body. <laughs> There's nothing over there. It's thinking very highly of the uh, of the uh, population that inhabits that area. Well, you're, you mean, know, if you're driving around late night. You got to be dumping a body. I mean, geez. I mean, I'm talking specifically about that middle strip. Okay, not okay, not okay, okay. That like middle strip between the two where there isn't a town or like a community. It's like. There's 12 miles of what what are you doing out here? Like you have to know the area. Like yeah. it's just it's not one of those things where and that, and that's sort of the way that it is with the Mahalva case is you, you have to know the area in order to end up where you end up. You know, sure okay, you you came across the spot and you found it. Chances are that's not likely. And then what do most people do? They go to where they know. So I mean, this person to me grew up on Long Island. Um, you know, this person 
was dumping parts in Gilgo Beach remote area and dumping parts in the Pine Barrens in Manorville, also an incredibly remote area. So, you know, and they're, they're far away. Like I said, those two places are about an hour away. A lot of people who are, you know, people I know that go out to Gilgo Beach and Jones Beach are from Nassau County and have no freaking reason to be going out to Suffolk County or like Suffolk County, what's that? Mm-hmm. Um, which is where Manorville is. So this person to me is someone that has spent their life here. They, they know this area. They know the Pine Barrens and they also know an hour away in Oak Beach and, you know, that area. Unfortunately, this case is too big to cover in just one episode. So tune in next week for part two. Meanwhile, thank you so much to Maggie from Missing Maura Murray, NPR Latino USA, Crawl Space, and basically everything true crime. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to my new show, My Passion Case. I will be dropping new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your favorite shows. If you enjoy My Passion Case, you can help support the podcast by clicking on the donate button on the right-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. Or via the Venmo app of my username, at BillHuffman3. Any amount is appreciated, and it really does help keep the podcast running. I will also be representing Who Killed and My Passion Case on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2020 in Orlando, May 1st through the 3rd this year. I look forward to talking with the listeners about the cases I have covered and the cases that interest you. If you do enjoy this podcast, you can always leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows because that does help keep these cases in the spotlight. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. I will have updates on new shows as well as new episodes. And again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be safe. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, 
culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.